This is the Monday Call, brought to you by NZ Funds. Dairy production has become one of the pillars of the New Zealand economy, but it's an industry that has become controversial because of its environmental impacts. This week, we're joined by Grant Watson, CEO of publicly listed dairy company Sinlay. With global food markets so volatile, what's the outlook for New Zealand dairy producers? What does China's continuing zero-COVID policy mean for dairy exporters? And are farmers and dairy companies starting to make a meaningful difference to the industry's long-term sustainability? Grant took the helm at Sinlay in January, and our portfolio manager, Andrew Curtain, started by asking him about his journey to the CEO role. somewhat of an unorthodox uh, career path for me. I uh, originally started working for McDonald's part-time when I was at school to pay for my commercial pilot license, Uh, decided to continue a a path in uh, corporate and worked my way from French fries up through the McDonald's organisation to become chief operating officer uh, and was with that organisation for about 19 years. Uh, I then left the corporate world and went out and explored a few uh, business ventures on my own and was approached in 2010 by Fonterra to join them. And and in fact, that was the Fonterra brand's New Zealand business to help uh, turn around the anchor milk business uh, and run the food service business. So that was my first three years uh, into dairy. Uh, The next two years was heading up uh, the, the wonderful ice cream business of Tip Top. Then I went on to run one of Fonterra's three global divisions, being Global Food Service. Uh, A fantastic journey. We took uh, that business from $1.4 billion to $2.8 billion over a five-year period. Uh, I then left Fonterra at the end of 2019, uh, and approximately a year later, after working on a number of uh, interesting projects, uh, joined the beautiful dairy company Medark, based just out of Taupo in the North Island, uh, and helped to reset the strategy uh, and a clear mandate for growth uh, in that business. I was approached late last year uh, to join the Sinlay business, which uh, which I was very, very uh, pleased and feel very pl- privileged to have done. So I joined Sinlay uh, early this year in late January. Uh, that's um, certainly a good pathway from... Um uh, flipping French fries at McDonald's right that way through to CEO Sinlay. Um, so well done there, Grant. But I guess um, why don't we jump into what Sinlay is? There'll be some listeners on this call, which I'm sure will be um, very familiar with the business, but some that may not be so familiar. So it'd be helpful from your perspective to take us through what, what Sinlay is, what the business does, and, and maybe where its um, facilities are located. Sinlay is... Uh Number three in New Zealand in terms of scale as a a dairy company, we have approximately 260 farms supplying us. Our largest site and our headquarters is based about 40 minutes south of Christchurch in Dunsandal. However, we also have a facility just south of the Bombay Hills in Porkino. So in terms of the business itself, we've got four business units. We've got a nutritional business uh, and and think there about infant formula and lactoferrin. We have an ingredients business, uh, so so thinking there about the commodity products of whole milk powder, skim milk powder, and certainly some customised product there. We also have a, a beverages and cream business, 
New Zealand fresh white milk uh, and a focus uh, on getting uh, food service cream up into the China market. And then we have a consumer business being Dairyworks, uh, which plays out in the New Zealand grocery industry. Uh, think about New World Pack and Save Countdown. We also play in Australia in the Woolworths business and we're looking at opportunities up into China at the moment. So those are the four business units. Generally speaking, the majority of our business is China, Australia, New Zealand, and certainly other business throughout Southeast Asia, Middle East and Latin America. Customers include, I've mentioned, foodstuffs, uh, Woolworths Countdown, uh, but we also deal with uh, the likes of a2, not just as a customer, as one of our shareholders, uh, Danone, Nestle, and a number of other uh, very, very highly regarded customers. Certainly, you've had a fantastic period of growth over the last um, last sort of 10 years or so since you listed. Um, out of those sort of divisions you mentioned, what, what part of those divisions um, drove most of that um, high growth period? A lot of the value growth has been driven through uh, our partnership with the, the A2 Milk Company and working alongside them as their business has grown. So there's been a very, very strong uh, partnership in play there. We've seen uh, in, in the, the last couple of years, which is when we purchased the Dairy Works business, there's been uh, very, very uh, good growth uh, through that business as well. And the beverages and cream businesses is emerging. So uh, we're very much early into, into that journey. And I, I think one thing that might be helpful for some listeners to understand is your um, is your part in the dairy chain process, I guess, of getting milk from the farm to the consumer. Um, what steps are you involved in? So where, where do you start your involvement and where do you finish your involvement? Yeah, we, we, we classify ourselves very much as a gate-to-plate business, so uh, very, very strong relationships with those 260 farms. So for us, it very, very much starts on farm. Uh, we work actively with our farmers uh, for, from from a sustainability perspective through to working, um, working uh, the best model up for milk collection. Uh, that comes into our factories and gets converted into a range of commodity uh, to value add products, as as mentioned, uh, and then ensuring that that product uh, gets its way up into up into the markets to our customers. So, are you having to organise the transport yourself then to collect the milk at the farm gate, and then organise then the delivery uh, to the end consumer as well? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're, we're directly involved uh, with all parts of the value chain, albeit we work with partners. For example, uh, we work with Hilton Haulage as a partner to collect our milk on farm. Uh, and depending on the customer's needs, we'll arrange shipping uh, to the end destination, or maybe it's that we organise for the product to get to the ports and they organise the shipping. Okay, fantastic. Um, I think People who live in Auckland are probably quite familiar with um, the Sinlay facility in Pocono just south of the Bombays because you can't really miss it as you drive down. It's a brand shining uh, new facility, which which looks very large to me, but it's actually the smaller, I believe, of your um, two facilities or your main facilities with the one south of Christchurch and, and, and Dunsdale being the larger one. So just to give us a sense of scale here, how much litres of milk or a million tonnes of um, powder do you produce from these facilities a year? Yeah, that's right. The Dunsandal facility is the largest of the two, and that has uh, three dryers that are roughly the same size as that one dryer in uh, Porkino. We also have a smaller dryer at Dunsandal and a beverages and cream uh, processing facility as well. 
Roughly speaking, we process about 800 million litres of uh, milk per year. And when you talk about a dryer, um, such as the three-year Dunsandal, um, what do you mean by that? So what's the process when you get the milk in and then you're drying this into, I assume, a type of um, a milk powder or infant formula powder? Yeah, that's right. So the liquid milk arrives onto the site. It goes through, uh, uh, depending on the product that we make, of course, but generally speaking, it will go through a heat treatment process. We look to reduce some of the water from that original uh, milk uh, out. Uh, and, the, and then the balance of that product will go into literally the top of a very, very large uh, spray dryer uh, as it goes into the dryer uh, through a heating process, we take liquid out and end up with a powdered product. And that allows us to, to efficiently ship the product around the world so that we're not moving uh, liquids around unnecessary, unnecessarily. So, so that's generally speaking what, what happens with the drying process. There are variances uh, to that depending on the products that we make. So I think we probably have a good idea of the business now and um, what I'd like to dig into now is more of what you're seeing in the market and I guess that starts with um, your business and sort of the price of um, milk so that would be a, a cost to you as you purchase the milk from the farmers but then it goes right through the supply chain and ultimately to where you're selling that can be uh, both New Zealand consumers but as you mentioned before you sell a lot into Australia and China. Um, to add to the complexity we've had an incredibly um, volatile time in sort of global commodity markets. Um, I think the way global travel um, has been affected over the last couple of years has certainly changed some parts of your business, um, and into China particularly, um, and as we've seen with A2, A2 Milk there. Um, I guess as a, as a starting point, um, where do you see the market today in, in terms of, I guess, its recovery from some of the you know, challenges it's seen over the last two years? And... Um, and and how does it? How do you think it's going to develop over the next year as the world maybe heads back to more of a normal world from a commodity price perspective, or certainly within um, the milk milk supply chain? Yeah, certainly from a demand perspective, demand uh, is very much holding up, and we're seeing that play through in the global dairy trade uh, dairy prices. Uh, and uh, from what we can see, that's been driven uh, in part by supply. Uh, being Im impacted, and often that's driven driven by volatile climatic conditions, which, uh, as we know, are becoming more and more. Uh, also, in terms of New Zealand dairy, uh, whether it be around COVID-related issues, potentially geopolitical issues, uh, New Zealand is is a very very good source of uh, dairy. So that that strengthens our position here, and we've also seen in COVID. Uh, the, the value of dairy nutrition uh, play its role. So that's increased in demand. What's really hard for us to, to fully understand is uh, inventory levels in market. We think we've got a reasonable read. Uh, there is the possibility that uh, inventory levels may be higher uh, than normal and uh, there could be uh, a temporary softening in demand if there is a normalisation of in-market inventory. So certainly from a demand perspective, uh, dairy uh, D dairy demand is strong, prices are uh, strong, and, and that positions the New Zealand dairy industry uh, in, in a very, very good position. A couple of challenges playing out at the moment. Uh, certainly from a Simlay perspective, we were doing a reasonably good job getting our heads around the challenges of COVID. However, life is becoming more and more challenging, uh, whether it be off the back of the war in Ukraine, 
the shipping challenges in China at the moment, uh, which have clearly have a domino effect uh, to shipping around the world, uh, and, and even uh, d- demand uh, spiking in China off the back of, of lockdown. So things uh, seem to be getting more challenging, not less in terms of shipping. And to be clear, whether that's us accessing raw ingredients to go into our products from overseas. For example, there's a, there's a component of oil that goes into making infant formula. So bringing that product in, or, or in fact, the challenges are around getting the product once it's been made back out into the markets. Uh, it, it is becoming more and more challenging. What is our view on the medium term in terms of dairy prices? It's very, very hard to say, uh, given the the current dynamics, the current volatility. Certainly in the short term, demand looks to be holding up. Prices are strong. In saying that, uh, prices need to be stronger because input costs on farm have also gone up. So whether that be uh, around um, feed, power, labour, fertiliser, some of those uh, uh, relate to to the domestic market and some of those relate to some of those other more challenging dynamics in the supply chain globally. If if we just dig into the demand side a little bit here um, and then then maybe we'll move and talk a little bit more about supply and maybe some of the logistical constraints that not only your industry is facing but basically every industry that imports or export has been facing over the last two years. Um, What would typically um, derive sort of increases and decreases in demand? Because I... I would assume that dairy products are relatively stable. They're a food ingredient. Um, people can't materially change um, how they consume um, dairy without sort of moving to other products, which is maybe more difficult than um, some other industries. For example, when you look at um, look at oil or you look at or the products like lumber or some metals, when prices tend to get really high, people may just delay building that house or they may delay that project they were thinking of doing. Um, but usually in the food industry, um, you know, people don't really decrease what they consume unless prices get really high. So I'd be interested from your perspective and, and also your history you know, throughout working at Fonterra and the different businesses you've worked at, what you tend to see as sort of the drivers of demand, whether it's just sort of GDP or whether you actually do see sort of other factors influencing demand. Yeah, look, maybe a general comment to start with. New Zealand is really, really well positioned to supply dairy to the world. Uh, From a climatic point of view, we're reasonably stable, whereas other uh, geographies uh, are seeing more and more volatility in that space. Geopolitically, uh, we're very stable. We've got, uh, generally speaking, very good access in terms of tariffs uh, and trade. And New Zealand dairy is, is certainly in our key marks, markets is certainly viewed as being uh, the gold standard of dairy. So we're, we're very, very well positioned from that perspective. Maybe to talk through a few of our categories. So if you look at the dynamics playing out in China at the moment with regards to infant formula, uh, the birth rate is dropping. So, so therefore, for the category of infant formula, dem- demand is dropping. However, the flip side to that is that there are less suppliers today and in the future that will be supplying into the China market. So for those that are, there's an opportunity to um, uh, get a larger part of the pie, albeit the pie uh, is decreasing. So uh, that speaks to some of the dynamics that are playing out in infant formula. And of course, right now we're seeing some real challenges with supply up in the US market and that presents opportunities as well. Uh, If we think about uh, lactoferrin, uh, which is 
uh, an amazing um, uh, uh, protein uh, that provides uh, wonderful uh, immunity benefits, especially for newborn children. Uh, we're seeing infant formula increasing the levels of lactoferrin, so therefore demand is increasing in that space. And then maybe if we touch briefly on commodities, what we're seeing there at the moment is again, we've got good surety of supply, we've got a very, very high uh, level of quality attached to the products that we produce, and in a period of uncertainty, there is definitely an increasing in uh, buffer stocks within a number of our customers to ensure that they are covered for further supply chain interruption. So uh, a, a number of dynamics playing out there. Uh, on balance, uh, we, we, we're doing a good job to make sense of all of those moving parts, albeit uh, the situations do continue to change. And from a from a sort of um, shipping perspective and supplies perspective, how, uh, how, how much, what are the challenges your businesses have faced on that? Because I assume when you're sending product up to China, for example, um, it would be your business bearing the cost of that um, heightened shipping um, shipping rates or freight rates rather than the consumer. Uh, often the shipping uh, cost and risk sits with our customers. However, it, that varies. So uh, depending on the nature of the product, uh, we, we'll organise shipping. Uh, certainly some of our larger customers have very, very good contracts with shipping lines around the world. And certainly in some situations, depending on the, the value of the products, uh, air freight is another very, very viable option. So uh, it, it is certainly challenging that the price of freight, as we know, is going through the roof. The reliability of shipping is becoming less. Uh, so, so it is absolutely one of our key challenges right now. Have you started to see any easing of, on shipping rates with... Um we started. We, we track sort of container rates and started seeing them start to come down in some regions in the world, and it's sort of a relatively recent trend as in the last few months. I'm just wondering, and, and um, if you're seeing any of that, um, particularly for your for your um, sea shipping, but um, also any air freight. Uh, look, certainly off the back of the Ukrainian situation and the China ports, we're not. We're not seeing anything that gives us medium to long term term comfort around uh, service levels or, or, in fact, the rates of shipping. So, as much as there might be variances from time to time, uh, the short to medium term uh, outlook is is still uh, very very challenging. Maybe that's a good segue to talk about um, the impacts of the Ukraine war on on the global food market um, positions that we. Um, are invested in include corn and wheat because um, that's severely impacted um, from the Ukraine war. They export around about 16, 16 to 20% of the world's um, wheat and corn. Um, so it's likely that a lot of that product's not going to get to the market later this year um, post the harvest season. Um, from a dairy perspective, are you seeing any direct impacts on the global dairy market from that situation? Yeah, I think um, two direct examples uh, that are worth Mentioning, I mentioned earlier on that we use uh, oil in the production of infant formula. So uh, again, uh, there's reasonable levels of supply generally out of that part of the world. So, so there's been an impact there. Fertilizer, exactly the same thing. So input costs for us uh, and, and in fact surety of supply for us are more challenging in terms of making product. 
uh, and fertiliser on farm for our farmers, lifting up the, the input prices there. Uh, and that, another indirect impact that we're looking out for is that with the increase in power costs up into Europe uh, and the, the, the uh, significant usage of power when you dry milk powder versus, say, making cheese, we may in fact see uh, a change in product mix out of Europe. So there may be less powder, more cheese produced out of Europe. For us, we need to be mindful of that because we have Dairy Works as a cheese business that sources cheese from within New Zealand, but also uh, globally. Uh, and then also we're producing powder that we're selling uh, globally as well. So uh, we're monitoring that situation very carefully as, as we'd expect to see some, some uh, potentially some reasonable shifts in commodity pricing. Yeah, that's a um, very interesting point you raise. Um, so both fertilisers, electricity prices, I guess, um, I, don't, I don't know if any of the facilities in Europe produce using gas or maybe coal as an input um, to run their facilities. But if you're seeing all these input prices go up and maybe if you're seeing Europe being hit harder, given the gas prices and energy costs have gone higher in Europe, then that puts you at a relative advantage. Um, on the fertiliser front, which is obviously a key input for... Um, for farmers, I know global fertilizer prices are up around about four to five times um, since before the war started. Um, are you seeing similar increases to the farmers in New Zealand? And I guess um, th th that question comes towards: Do we produce any of our own fertilizer and can produce it at a at a lower cost than maybe that we would be able to import it from overseas? Yeah, look, I'm certainly not an expert on the fertilizer market. Uh, what I can say, uh, and having a number of discussions with farmers in the last two or three weeks, is that their uh, break-even uh, break-even points have lifted up. Uh, Fertiliser is a key theme coming through, again impacted by that global dynamic. Uh, Labor is having a significant impact as well, and we're we're uh, all um, all too well aware of of the dynamics uh, there. And, and of course, uh, local power prices have have lifted in, in, in recent times. So, um, yeah, certainly in, in input price, sorry, input prices uh, have uh, have lifted, and uh, fertilizer and feed are very much of a part um, play very very much of a part in that. I, I guess um, all all equal um, as a processor in the in the supply chain, um, just because prices are rising doesn't necessarily mean it's a good or a bad thing for your business. What what matters to you is that you can pass through the cost. So if the farm gate milk price is increasing and you're, you're paying more for your milk, it matters that you can actually hold your margin, pass that through to the end consumer. Um, so uh, having been through a volatile time of increasing uh, fuel prices as a whole, how has your business fared in, in this, um, this dynamic of being able to pass through these costs? Yeah, generally speaking, we're in very good shape. So our, our contracts, uh, for the most part, allow us to pass on key input, key input prices. Uh, the largest, of course, for us being the farm gate milk price. The, the only challenge with that is often the contracts are lacked. So you'll get some margin compression uh, on the way up, and you'll get some margin expansion uh, on the way down. The other really important thing for us to do is is to make sure that we um, don't get ahead of ourselves or lag when it comes to selling our commodity products through the season. It's important that we stay in the market there, that we've got really good hedging policies in place as well. Uh, and what we've seen certainly in recent periods of time is that there's been more value in skim and fat products 
compared to say whole milk powder. So uh, we refer to that as chasing the lead bucket uh, and the team have done a very, very good job of chasing the lead bucket and putting all of that together what that allows us to do is to pay our farmers a, a competitive farm gate milk price and ensure that we protect our uh, trading margins within the business. I just want to jump back to China quickly. Um, a lot of the listeners are probably familiar with um, A2 Milk, which was um, one of the superstars in the New Zealand stock market over the last um, 10 years or so, but has suffered a little bit recently. And a lot of that has been due to what's been going with the infant formula business in China, um, A2 uh, a lot of its milk was exported um, via a channel called Daigu, which was essentially um, a direct purchasing of infant formula um, by people and, and, and to some extent actually flying them back um, on the planes themselves and selling them within China. Um, the, the channel was developed over, over recent years and is a, is a lot more sophisticated than that now, but um, I guess the... The, the short version of what's happened is um, as as the world's gone into various forms of lockdown and travel's become very difficult, it's made A2's, A2's um, sort of um, channel into China more difficult to sell, which has hurt its sales. Um, of course, A2 has been a fantastic customer for Sinlay Milk over the last um, seven or eight years and has helped um, Sinlay grow very well. But when you get a period like this and a key customer um, has a, a sales channel problem that starts to impact um, Sinlay a bit negatively as well. So I, I, I want to discuss um, at a high level, Grant, sort of what's been going on with China. That was my quick version of events, but you'll be much um, closer to it. And I think everyone's interested in, in, the, in the potential recovery there because a lot, I'm sure a lot of people here have um, um, also followed A2 Milk and have followed Sinlay and want to understand sort of when this China sales channel can come back to its previous strengths. Yeah, look, what I won't do is speak to the specific um, demand expectations for A2 milk up into China. But what I can say is David Bordelusi and the A2 team are working really, really hard to address demand up in China. Uh, and uh, clearly, we're alongside them to support that growth. Uh, so so that's, um, that, that, that's our role. There are a number of moving parts up in China at the moment. There is a registration process taking place for brands to re-register and continue having access to the market. So we're working uh, alongside A2. Uh, we're working very hard to ensure that we uh, we get re-registration up into the market. There's, there's no guarantees around that. So that's a really, really important piece of work. Uh, A2 continue to look at improving uh, their product formulation up into the market so where we can uh, help with that we certainly do that right now one one of the real challenges is being clear on uh, the, the various elements of demand up in the market so really understanding that granularity and what we've seen in uh, in the recent lockdowns is that there as we've seen before heading into COVID and, and there's a real learning there for us is understanding what is pantry fill so when consumers are putting more product into their pantry but the underlying consumption is not increasing. What does that look like? Uh, as as the trade, uh, for example, as the uh, premium grocery stores uh, uh, re- reduce their stocks uh, off the back of that spiked up demand, w- what's likely to be the, the, the normal inventory we need to get back to at some point? And then understanding that with distributors as well. So it's important for us to work really closely with the A2 milk company on understanding the granularity of demand and how that relates to stock levels and markets. So there's a there's a fair, fair amount of focus on that. As I said, where they look to improve 
their uh, product formulations. Uh, we work alongside them there, and as they and as they look to address demand in the market, we, we clearly look to meet that demand. And of course, Sinlay's um, always looking for new customers and contracts, and particularly high value. Um, contracts and you've recently announced that there's a contract with an adult nutrition, nutrition um, or a large adult nutrition um, consumer. Um, you haven't named um, who this is, but the very significant, um, my understanding is that they have um, sales reach right around the world. Um, it would be great to hear a little bit more about um, this customer and contract um, to the extent you can talk about them and what that means to your business over the next few years. Yeah, look, and, and we'd love to be able to share who that is, uh, and, and certainly at this stage we can't. Um, so we'll keep you posted um, when we are in the position to do that. Uh, they are a, a large multinational customer. Uh, it's both in adult nutrition and in paediatric uh, nutrition. And if you think about where Sinlay is at today and the benefits of bringing that customer on board, there's, there's three clear call-outs. One is that uh, in terms of diversification, we reduce our China risk away from, sorry, our, we, we reduce our geographical uh, concentration risk away from China uh, into other markets. So that's very, very important. Uh, secondly, it's non-dairy. So uh, we've got dairy exposure and then we'll have non-dairy exposure. Uh, and then the third stating the obvious is we have uh, a very, very strong relationship with the A2 milk company we bring on board another very, very key customer. So we create diversification in that space as well. We're looking to, uh, from a commercialization and ramp up perspective, we're we're looking to uh, uh, really um, uh, build up volumes and and look to have a a go live commercialization in the early part of next calendar year. And what does this mean from uh, retooling your facilities? If you bring in a new large customer, I'm sure there'd be a slight um, uh, variance in this type of product that you're putting through your facility, how you source that, how you actually run your dryers. Um, what, is, what does this mean and how long does it take to um, get these dryers set up to produce um, at large quantities for a new customer like this? Yes, and in fact, I was up on the site uh, a couple of Fridays ago having a look at the progress that the team has made. So uh, roughly speaking, we... Is it po- Pocono or is this um, down south? Sorry, up, up, up on the Pocono site. Yes, that's great. And and we're, uh, we've, we're, we're in the process of investing circa $85 million uh, around uh, drying, blending, canning, uh, and, and packing uh, facilities. So certainly a significant level of investment uh, against this uh, customer partnership uh, opportunity. Fantastic. Uh, one one thing that I know Sinlay is very focused on is sustainability in the industry, and I, I know farming um, gets a little bit of media attention about sustainability, um, and, and you've got various goals and that you're working towards to reduce um, emissions uh, right throughout your supply chain. It would be great for you to, um, to talk a little bit about this, and I guess a good chance for you to tell uh, people in New Zealand what you're doing to reduce emissions. Yeah, uh, look, look uh, you know, if you look at the history of Sinlay and, and you look at the, the DNA of our business, uh, it is very, very entrepreneurial, very, very innovative, and it certainly has wonderful uh, sustainability credentials, albeit we've got plenty of work to do to improve upon our position when it comes to sustainability. It's, it's worth mentioning t- two parts there. Uh, firstly, on farm, we have a program called Lead with Pride, uh, which our farmers sign up to. And th- that is a system with measurements around sustainability practices, but also 
generally speaking, uh, looking to make, make sure we're uh, making sure that we make improvements over time when it comes to sustainability. So uh, that ranges from the environment, uh, animal welfare, looking after people that work on farms, looking after uh, our local communities, and so so. Um, Lead with Pride uh, is a leadership program. Uh, again, we incentivise our farmers for that. Uh, equally, we look to get a premium against that uh, against those products in market where there is absolutely uh, strong demand for more sustainably produced products. So that speaks to to on farm, more generally off farm. Uh, Practices. Uh, we've got a number of programs uh, in, in play at the moment to uh, to ensure that we've got the most sustainable uh, forms of power to to um, to operate our our plants. Uh, and, and 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 clearly another part to sustainability is ensuring that the business is in very very good shape from a balance sheet and PL perspective, so that commercially we're sustainable. So uh, certainly uh, a, a number of uh, fantastic initiatives on farm off-farm and and also making sure that uh, from a financial perspective, we're well positioned also. That's fantastic to hear, Grant. It's um, becoming a larger and larger part of um, many institutions' investment process to look at the ESG component of a company and the sustainability and certainly a very large part of what we do at NZ Funds, not only companies, investing companies that are um, not um, in sort of high fossil fuel emitting industries, but also companies that are actually trying to improve in industries that um, that aren't too bad, but are trying to make steps to improve and um, and sort of help, I guess, all the countries they are involved with meet um, sort of net zero carbon emission targets, which most countries are trying to achieve this by um, by twenty fifteen. Um, I just wanted to touch a little bit more on the farmer component. So you said you've got two hundred and sixty farmers you work with. Um, are they exclusive to Sinlay, um, or do they also produce for other dairy companies? Um, and then a second part to that question um, from the A2 milk part, where you can only um, milk from cows that are A1 protein free. How does that process work, and how many farms do you have that are A1 protein free? So, so to answer the f- first question, of the so, so the two hundred and sixty farms that supply us are exclusively s- supplying to Sinlay. All but we have farmers. Uh, and more corporatized models who, who might supply also to the likes of, say, Fonterra or Medaka. So um, uh, uh, we have uh, a very, very loyal base. Uh, and in fact, we're through our recent strategy refresh work that we've been doing, uh, we're looking to strengthen up that model with farmers uh, more and more. Uh, because uh, as we know across New Zealand, we're at peak cow. Uh, we are seeing more processing uh, appear in the New Zealand market, so that that competition for milk is becoming um, becoming more and more. Uh, in terms of uh, the the product uh, or the relationship we have with a, the A2 Milk Company, they have a, a very very strict set of criteria uh, that we work with on farm to ensure that uh, we have A2 herds. There's the right uh, testing that takes place each year uh, with the herds, and then there's the right testing with the actual milk product as we uh, collect it and process process it. So there's uh, some fantastic IP that the A2 Milk Company has developed that we then, as a partner of of A2, tap into and and use to produce their product. 
Um, I just wanted to understand if you um, have any touch points with Fonterra being the largest dairy company in New Zealand. Are you completely um, separate from them or given you know, small market in New Zealand, do you have various touch points where they may be a customer and buying some of your products or vice versa, you're buying ingredients from them to um, put into your, um, your, your process of um, refining the milk? We, we have a very good working relationship with Fonterra uh, that ranges... Uh, that ranges from buying certain ingredients that that we can't produce in our processes that we need for our completed product. Certainly, Dairy Works as a consumer business purchases uh, some cheese from Fonterra. Uh, and, and I'd also like to think in terms of the industry, generally speaking, we work very closely with all of the uh, key dairy players in New Zealand to, to see how we can improve dairying within New Zealand. So as an example, we are members of Decans, the Dairy Companies Association of New Zealand, uh, very, very much focused on on improving farming within New Zealand. So, so again, working alongside uh, Fonterra and other dairy companies. Great. I'm just um, checking the questions that have come through from listeners on the call. We have um, one question um, from a Mark Bewley who's asking if there's any sign of new players in the freighting market to help with afford-looking pricing and, and freight. Look, I'm uh, not close enough to that being four months into this role. Um, I, from a shipping perspective, uh, which is the obvious one, I, I'm not aware. Uh, if, um, if you'd expect that if the levels of profitability in the shipping industry maintain for a, for a longer a long enough period of time that, that, that it should attract uh, new entrants into the market. Um, but look, I'm, I'm not close enough to that detail at this point. No problem. Thanks, Grant. Um, well, just to wrap up, then one last question from me, and this might be um, for the farmers on the call. Um, do you have a prediction for the Farmgate milk price um, heading into next year? Uh, I, th- I think the I think the indicated midpoint that Fonterra has announced last week, which is um, nine dollars, is uh, is a very healthy, very strong. And it feels like at this stage a very doable uh, milk price for for next season. So uh, certainly, if we look at our sales into next year, uh, we feel really confident that we can um, uh, meet a market uh, a market milk price of circa nine dollars. Uh, how the milk price will play out for next year, really, really hard to know. But at this stage, all of the signals look very positive. This has been The Monday Call, brought to you by NZ Funds. New Zealand Funds Management Limited is the issuer of the NZ Funds KiwiSaver Scheme. NZ Funds Manage Superannuation Service, NZ Funds Advice Portfolio Service, NZ Funds Wealth Builder, and NZ Funds Income Generator. A product disclosure statement for each is available at nzfunds.co.nz. Past performance is not necessarily an indicator of future returns. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as constituting financial advice.